I've called the, the message this morning, Pull Up. And uh, I think about when I, when I get to go out to lunch with, with Bill uh, once in a while, uh, when we go into a restaurant and we come up to the table, which way is the coffee cup turned? Upside down, right? Yeah. And so Bill always goes like this and pushes it towards the waitress. And I always go like this and push it away from the waitress. So you get the idea this morning. I want us to think a little bit about empty vessels and full vessels. Uh, there was a teacher who was trying to teach his student a lesson. And uh, the student was pretty full of himself and thought he knew it all. And the teacher recognized this, so he said, I'll take him out for a cup of tea. So he took him out for a cup of tea, and he proceeded to fill that cup up all the way to the brim. And before the young student can take a drink, he poured more in it, and it was running onto the table. And the student's going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I've got to empty something out of there before I, you know, because it's, and the teacher said, aha, uh -huh, there's a lesson here. That's what he was trying to teach him. We have to empty ourselves sometimes of our knowledge and ourself before we can accept more. And I, I thought that was a great illustration. The lesson was pretty obvious. Uh, empty yourself of your limited knowledge in order to receive what the teacher has for you. So sometimes a full vessel is good. Uh, bear with me here. I've got to unload some of the toys here. Sometimes a full vessel is really good. So this is an old paint bucket. It's not yours, Dan. It, it's mine. Don't worry. Um, so you recognize this. Now, if, if you're a painter and your bucket is empty, that could be bad, right? It could be because you need more paint. But if you're like me and you like a bucket for sitting on, then it's pretty good that it's empty, you know, because it's a lot easier to turn over and it's not going to spill all over the place. So um, if you're like Brandon and the bucket is empty and you want to, that's a pretty good thing, right? In Chicago, you see people doing that on buckets and making a bucket full of money. So uh, that's a good thing. Um, if this... I decided to use this for an anchor, and I tied a rope to it and threw it in the water. It wouldn't make a very good anchor, would it? would hardly hold the boat at all because it would need to be full of something. So some of you are looking at me right now and thinking, he's a buckethead, <laughs> which means empty, and you're probably right. So I want us to think about that today as we, as we look at this lesson. Each one of us is a vessel. Uh, God, in his word, often talks about his people as vessels. Um, what kind of a vessel are we? Are we empty? Are we full? Maybe we're both. So I want us to think about that. I'd like for you to stand with me now as we read 
from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In the same mode that we've been in all morning, this is our prayer, and I want you to join me in the prayer this morning. You'll know this too. Here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and fill this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup, fill it up and make me whole. You may be seated. First point this morning is as you accepted Christ. And here's what Paul is saying in the text. He's really saying, uh, therefore, there's the first word, therefore, in the text, in light of what he had just said. And it's been two weeks since we've heard what Paul said, at least from the pulpit. Uh, you remember what Paul said? He had said the last time we talked together that he was in a spiritual conflict of prayer for the church. And he was doing, doing that kind of battle with the enemy for the church. And he was praying that the church at Colossae would be strengthened and encouraged. And he also said that he was encouraged by their good order and their firm faith that he had seen in them. So he says, therefore, in light of those things, as you receive Christ, well, as means in the same manner. So in the same manner, in light of those things, uh, in the same manner that you receive Christ, now, we have to stop here for a minute. <clears throat> how did the church at Colossae, the people that were there, and how did we receive Christ? It's only two words, and I'll give you the first one. We received him by faith, right? We, see, we received Christ by faith. So, <laughs> Uh, you know, that begs the question. The question is, how did we receive him? We received him by faith. So, if you are a vessel, such as this bucket here, and you were to receive Christ, what position would that bucket need to be in? If it's like this, obviously it's going to be hard to receive Christ. If you turn it upside down and it's full of something, you're still not going to be able to receive Christ. Uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So 
when we receive Christ, we're like an empty bucket. <laughs> we're turned upside down, uh, we're turned right side up, and we're empty of ourselves. And, and that's scriptural if you think about it. We're positioned by God. I think three weeks ago, we looked at Colossians 1 and verse 12, where it said, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Well, we said at that time that that qualifying of us is literally putting us into position. And that's what God does for us. A couple of weeks ago, Kathy and I were walking through Elburn and looking at the second house that we lived in as newlyweds as we were walking past it. And I pointed out a stairway and I said, do you remember when we were sitting on those stairs? And she remembered. And we had a conversation. And we were not believers. And I said to Kath, after the, after the thought, I was sitting here wondering if you died, if you were going to go to heaven. And if I died, what would happen to me? And that was the beginning of God positioning me, uh, Kathy and myself, to be saved. Many things happened between that time and the time that we came to the Lord. But God positions us. He puts us in a place. Sometimes he humbles us. He puts us through all kinds of things so that we are right side up and empty so that, he, so that we can receive faith from him, which is a gift. And that's a beautiful thing. So we had to be empty of self, and we had to be humble in order to receive Christ. Like Christ who emptied himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's from Galatians 2.20. And here's, here's what it says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He's filled me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. <laughs> I love the words of the song. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's, we're, we're empty. <laughs> we have nothing to offer. Uh, humble, right side up. So Paul goes on, though. As ye therefore have received Christ, so walk in Christ, in the same manner that you received him. How did we receive him? By so how do we walk in him? By, by faith. Yeah, that's really, I think, what Paul is trying to teach us here. So we go back to our bucket, right? And this is what we tend to do sometimes as Christians. We were positioned right side up. We were empty. But now I'm a believer, right? And uh, these are some of the things that we think about now that I'm a believer. Well, I'm a Christian now, and... Uh, I attend church. You know, that's one of the things that I do. Not only do I attend church, but I faithfully read my Bible. These are good things, by the way. Don't misunderstand me. Okay, so not only do I read my Bible, but uh, I'm part of a small group. I wish all of us were. So that's another good thing that I'm involved in. And I go to the jail almost every week and tell people about Jesus. That's a good thing. Don't misunderstand me. 
Oh, and by the way, <laughs> I give faithfully out of my pocket to the Lord. Now the bucket is full. But what's it full of? You know, I think sometimes we as Christians begin to think that once we come to the Lord, the things that we do is how we walk. Uh-uh. We walk in the same position that we came to the Lord empty. Don't misunderstand me, though. <laughs> Good works are the result of faith. Are they not? Yes, they are. And even in our text, it says, you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so he's the Lord of our life, so these things should result. Understand that, but be very, very careful <laughs> about pride. Be careful not to try replacing faith in Christ alone with our good works. Humility's got to be our position. So uh, <laughs> good works are not the essence of our faith, are they? They are not. The essence of our faith is Christ. He's the essence of our faith. So then Paul goes on beyond so walk in Christ. He says we need to walk in the way that Paul taught the doctrine of Christ. And it gets, you know, a little more complicated here in some ways. Uh, Paul knew that the church was facing challenges about who Christ is. Do we face challenges about who Christ is in this world? Oh, come on. Yes, we really do. So this, is, this stuff is current. So don't think like, oh, my goodness, Paul was having this thing. But we've got this thing going on. And, and, and the challenge is who Christ is, and it's heresy and false teaching that we, we face. So he has in mind, Paul has in mind, that as you walk by faith in Christ, pay attention to the teaching and the traditions that you received about Christ from Epaphras and Paul. So brothers and sisters in the Lord, my brothers and sisters, as we walk in the faith, we're to remember what those who have come before us have taught us through Christ. And you, can, you know, there are some traditions that are, are not good. We'll talk about that later. But Paul is saying, remember where you came from. Remember what I taught you about the Lord Jesus. Christ alone. Christ alone. So he's hammering away at that. And so he goes on and uh, he says, just as you were taught. So in other words, he says, don't be tempted to run after every new idea and teaching. In other words, the enticing words of heresy. Okay, I'm going to say this as a pastor, and having pastored in a number of places, a number of times in my life, I think it's really human nature to want to have a brand new idea that nobody else has ever had. And every preacher is tempted to read the text and think, oh my, I'm going to come up with something here that's... Nobody's ever heard before. <laughs> what did Solomon say? There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> and he was the wisest man uh, that had ever lived. So understand that, that that's our nature sometimes, to, to want to have a new idea, something that nobody had ever thought of. And you know what? Christians often chase after that. They're chasing after uh, teachings with a desire to be in the know, and to have a deeper and a more clear understanding. I can't tell you how many times times people have come up to me and said, 
Pastor Dave or Brother Dave. I just want to get Jesus in them. And, and you know what? I want people to get deeper in the Lord. I do. But sometimes what they're really saying is they want some special knowledge. And, and sometimes they're talking about the pride of knowledge. And I've discovered, and I'm a simple guy, I keep telling you that, that Christianity is really about doing the simple things that the Lord has asked us to do. And the, 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 we, the things that we need to understand are fairly simple. I can't understand why God sent his son. I know it's his love, but I can't understand how he did that. But that's pretty simple. He did send his son to die for me. And, and those are the things that we need to understand and be clear about. But Paul, we jump forward now to verses 8 through 10, and I know I'm skipping over 7, but we'll go back to it. And Paul is saying, beware. There is real danger of being taken captive. He's saying, see to it. Beware that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. <laughs> and that... that that uh, takes you captive means to be kidnapped or enslaved or taken away from the truth. It's so easy to be taken away from the truth, brothers and sisters. And we keep hammering on that week after week that we need to know the truth. So the words philosophy and empty deceit, <laughs> that's not, and Paul says that's not what you were taught. But in defining philosophy and deceit, there's a word in Strong's Concordance how many of you ever used Strong's Concordance? Yeah, it's an old, old tool. But if you look in there, it uses the word theosophy. And so put your thinking caps on a little bit, you know, uh, theosophy. What does that mean? Theo means sophist wisdom. So literally, the word means God's wisdom, if you transliterate it. Uh, here's the deal, though. What theosophy really is, <laughs> it's making wisdom your God, <laughs> making human wisdom your God. It's not God's wisdom, it's man's wisdom. So listen carefully because it's all around us. It's all over our culture and it always has been. So here's a definition of theosophy, and I want you to listen. There's a word in here that we'll, I'll, I had to explain to myself. So here's what theosophy is. It's systems of esoteric philosophy. Esoteric? Okay, I'll explain that. I'm sure you guys know, but I'll explain it just for my own sake. It means it's intended for or likely to be understood by only a small number of people with a specialized knowledge or interest. Wow. <laughs> and that's what Paul was facing when he was writing this. He knew that already. And that's what we face today in, in our own society. So theosophy is systems of esoteric philosophy concerning direct knowledge of presumed mysteries. So people are presuming there's some mysteries out there that none of us can really understand unless you're part of the group, uh, of being and nature, particularly concerning the nature of divinity. So let me break that down real simply. People are looking within mankind, within themselves, and looking to nature to find divinity. That's what's happening. And that's happening all over the world. So where do you think, and some of you may know this, 
where is the headquarters of the Theosophical Society of America? Wheaton, Illinois. <laughs> it is. It's right on Main Street. Uh, I find that to be a little humorous uh, because Wheaton is considered, you know, kind of the, uh, what, the Bible Belt of the Midwest in a sense because of all the churches. But here planted right in the middle of our own world, our own territory where you and I live, we're familiar with it, is the Theosophical Society of America. Still, uh, what's the word? Thriving. They're thriving. I go past there and they're thriving. So let me just give you uh, some of the classes that are being offered there, some of the things that are being taught. Um, I found these interesting. The first one was called Master Your Energy, Reboot Your Brain. By the way, I could use that part of it. Reboot Your Brain and Protect Yourselves from Energy Vampires. It's a play on words. They're not really talking about vampires, but get get the picture. Uh, the, the other one's called, and I'm going to mispronounce it, it's called Tai Chi. Is that correct? Uh-huh. Circling hand meditation. Um, hmm. Having to do with cosmic harmony and mystical experiences. There's another class. This one's called, and those of you that do yoga, don't get offended. Six Yogas of Naropa. It's a tradition of easy, easy enlightenment, clear light, and dream yoga. And then there is also one on Buddhist meditation. There's a Buddhist meditation retreat. So, you know, we can smile and kind of think this is humorous, and in a sense I, I get that, but this is the reality of our world. It's the reality of what's happening even in our own country. Uh, and, and it's spreading. And so <laughs> Paul says to beware this type of philosophy and deceit, lest it take you captive. And it can take you captive. I've seen it happen with people. And Paul also mentions that we are to beware of human tradition. You know, perhaps Paul had in mind the nation of Israel. And we know that Moses passed on the law orally, and, and that was considered tradition. Uh, he passed it on in unbroken succession to subsequent generations uh, and all through uh, history. And what happened was the next generations began to illustrate and expand what was the word of God into their own traditions. And, and then they were to be obeyed with equal reverence to God's word. <laughs> but we have to be careful because when he talks about human traditions, he's not just talking about Israel. There are human traditions that we have that we need to think about that have been passed on from generation to generation. And be careful that we're not trapped into human tradition that subtracts somehow from the word of God. And, and that's one of the things that Paul is warning about. And, you know, I don't have time to go into all these things because he's going to hammer on this for the rest of chapter 2. So we'll, we'll hammer a little more on that in the future. But beware philosophy and empty deceit. Beware human traditions. And then he says to beware the elemental spirits of the world. So some people 
in the past and even today worship the heavenly bodies because they think in the heavenly bodies. You know, and I've checked all this stuff out because I never believed this, but there are so many people in the world that actually worship still the sun and the moon and the stars. It's incredible. <laughs> people are still doing that. And, and they think that uh, in those bodies dwelt the essential elements of mankind, such as life and destiny. So they saw their life and destiny in the sun or in the moon or in the stars or the planets. <laughs> and that happens even today. But here's one, two, three, four, five amazing, important words. And Paul says, and not according to Christ. That's where we need to get back to. <laughs> That's what Paul is talking about, uh, the preeminence of Christ. So beware these three different categories that are not according to Christ. Now comes one of the most important, perhaps most definitive statements about Christ. And I hope you... Somebody could probably point that out to me. What am I, where am I going? It's probably the next verse in our text. So important. Verse 9. I'm giving you a hint now. <laughs> For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. For in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Not only is he the son of God, but he's God the son. And this is what all these other areas are missing about Christ. He is God the son and the son of God. <laughs> and in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's an incredible statement. <laughs> and so when people start talking to you about, well, who's Jesus really? Well, have you ever read Colossians 2.9 when a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door and wants to talk about who Christ is? Well, let's talk about Colossians 2.9. In him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's an important statement. It's amazing. And this is the crux of the issue for you and I. This is where Christians stand, and sometimes Christians are dying, about who Christ is. He's our Lord and Savior. And you know, it goes on from there. <laughs> and now, oh, I've got to empty this. There's another statement in there. I think it's in verse 10. And ye have been filled, filled in him, in Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. So the bucket becomes purposeful again because it's filled with Christ. And think about that. Think about what we're being taught there. <laughs> we're filled, our bucket's filled with his fullness, which has been imparted to us. That means that God literally passes himself to us through Christ. That's pretty astounding. But we've said it over and over again, Christ in us, the hope of glory, uh, the Holy Spirit indwells us, so, so he's passed to us. The whole fullness of God, in a sense, is passed, imparted to us, fills our bucket through Christ. <laughs> I love that. Who is the head of all rule and all authority. <laughs> so you know what that means? 
It means that you're complete in Christ. I mean, you are complete. Do any of you ever feel incomplete? Let's be honest. Come on. Yeah, there's a lot of times when I feel like something's missing. What's missing? <laughs> it's such a good reminder to know that we're complete in Christ, that we're partaker of the divine nature. It says in the scripture that we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. We don't need to add anything. We don't need to add anybody. We don't need any higher knowledge or mysteries to go deeper and deeper. We've got Christ. <laughs> we don't need any extra biblical books. I'm not against them, but we don't need them because we've got the Lord Jesus Christ in this book. Every page points to him. <laughs> we don't need any new apostles. There aren't any. <laughs> and we don't need any new age teachings. We need what was taught to us, what we were taught about Christ. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. Do you believe that this morning? <laughs> there was a lot of depth to what he said there. Depth, not death, depth. It is finished, complete. You are complete in Christ a beautiful thought. You are, you're, you're, you're complete in Christ. The words of the song, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. I don't sing that one. Beautiful words. Finally, well not finally, just turning to the next point, you are anchored in Christ. The word is Paul, it's, it's, it, they, it says rooted in our text. But really, and if I understand what I read about it, it's really a building term. So a building is rooted. It's, you know, it's got a footing and a foundation, and it's tied to the ground. So, but for our purposes this morning, uh, we're going to think about the word anchored. <laughs> Firm, grounded, fixed like a foundation. But we'll use the word anchored because that allows me to use my bucket again. So... Uh, and I'm thinking about an anchor now. Um, so if you take this bucket, empty, like we talked about earlier, and you've got a rope on it that's long enough, and you drop it in the water, uh, if, if it's a light boat, it might slow it down a little bit, but it's not going to anchor it at all. Now if I fill it full of concrete or rocks, and then I've got a rope or a chain that's long enough, what happens? Well, hopefully it's going to hold, you know. Our bucket's full of the solid rock of Jesus Christ, in a sense. My anchor holds and grips the solid rock. But you know what? I've read about a, a ship and a typhoon because I wanted to understand this. And here's what happened. Um, they were told to go to a certain spot, but they decided they didn't want to risk going there, so they went somewhere else, and they dropped all of their anchors. And where they dropped them, it was a sand bottom. And the typhoon got so bad that it just dragged the anchor all across the sand. And it never grabbed a hold of a rock. So it was never anchored. And the ship was destroyed and many lives were lost. So that's, that's an amazing picture to me. So <laughs> uh, 
We don't want our anchor to just drag across the sand. And, and Paul's saying to these people, you are anchored or rooted in Christ. <laughs> Again, he's going to hammer on the Lord Jesus Christ, our foundation, our solid rock. And so that's our conversion. When, that's our anchor. That's a one-time thing that Paul's talking about here. You were rooted in Christ, you're anchored. That's where you are as a Christian. But then he goes on in this text, and, and he begins to say some other things that are continuous actions. He says, now with that foundation, that anchor, he says, we are continually being built up in Christ. One-time action, conversion. Christians are to be continually being built up in the Lord. Uh, is your faith building this morning? You know, I'm, I'm asking that. Is your faith building? Is it growing? Is it getting deeper rooted? I ask myself that question, you know. Uh, are we pressing on toward the goal that the Bible says? Are we teachers by now? says we should be teachers by now. Are we eating solid food and not just milk? You know, there's a trend in our country, and I think it illustrates what we're talking about here. Uh, it has to do with young adults. Uh, young adults pay attention. Um, I don't think it describes anybody in this room. But uh, especially young men, uh, there's this, uh, this, what, a thing going on where, where young men are not leaving the house. And some people are calling it a failure to launch. And uh, I've thought about that. Uh, it's, it's a sign of immaturity, maybe a lack of initiative, a lack of courage, maybe lack of mentoring, lack of role models. And you know what? It's even within the church. There's a young man at uh, a different campus, one of the pastors who uh, is planning on putting two rooms in his basement so that he can bring young men from the church, young men that are Christians, who are fit this category of failure to launch. And he's going to bring them and have them live in his house, and he's going to help to mentor them and grow up so they can be launched. So that's a pretty amazing idea. But that's, that's a, a tragedy, really, across our country. And you know, in prison ministry, uh, the world that I travel in, the lack of fathers in the home, or even the lack of leadership from fathers that are in the home, it's contributed to this failure to grow up, <laughs> mightily, actually. Uh, but in the church, we often mimic the world, and it's happening in some of our churches. And uh, I think it's the lack of continual spiritual growth being built up in Christ continually for Christian fathers. I think a lot of Christian fathers are failing to grow in Christ. And we're supposed to be doing that, men. And, and uh, the lack of spiritual leadership from Christian fathers. <laughs> and, and this has, has led to the same thing, a failure to launch some of our Christian children. So men women in this congregation, young men and young women. This isn't the whole point of the message, but take it from the Lord. I hope that we are continually to be built up in Christ. What does that mean to you? You need to define that 
how can you continually be being built up in Christ and building others up as part of it, just as you were taught. So we're continuous action. We're to be being built up in Christ, according to what Paul says here, uh, rooted, built up in Christ, and established in the faith through Christ. And this is another one. Established sounds like a one-time thing, but it's really a continuous action here again, being more and more established, becoming more firm, making sure of our faith. <laughs> again, continuous action. Our roots are growing deeper and stronger. Our confidence in Christ is growing. Testimony here. Small group has heard this. Some of you haven't. Growing in faith. Even at my age, I hope to continue to grow in faith. So Kathy and I have been praying for our children. They're not children, adults, young adult uh, children, I guess, uh, on Tuesday night. And uh, our son had, um, he had quit his position because of some ethical issues a couple of months ago, living in New Mexico, a place where he really doesn't know anybody. And, uh, so Kathy and I have a special night on Tuesdays where we pray for our children. It seems that we often get a call from our son on Tuesday, which is fruitful. Thank you, Lord. The Lord is blessing those things and actually building our faith through those things. So this next Tuesday, it will be two weeks, that we got a call from our son. And I can't give you all the details, but <laughs> he got offered three jobs in one day. What day was that? Tuesday. And what was the day that he called us? Tuesday. And um, so there were two jobs that he really wanted really badly because they both were going to be great experiences. And the Lord took the two entities that were offering the jobs and they allowed him to do both jobs. So uh, and the lady said, well, the stars are really lining up. There's another star worshiper, but I knew who was really lining up the stars, God. So for Kathy and I, that was a huge faith builder. Uh, did you hear a lot of screaming and shouting out here on that Tuesday night? That was Kathy and I uh, over in Kane County praising the Lord for his faithfulness. And, you know, we've shared that with a lot of people um, not in great detail, but what I've seen is a lot of people that have really been encouraged by that, which was kind of, wow, why are they so encouraged? You know why they're so encouraged? Because everybody's asking the Lord to do something in their life. They want to see the faithfulness of God. People, young, I mean, adults that have children are praying for their children, and when they see God answering prayer for somebody else, it encourages them. It builds up their faith. It's establishing their faith. It's a continual thing that goes on in our life. And we're a community, a church, and we need to share these kinds of things with one another so that we can build our faith up continually. That's a beautiful thing. It's one of the beauties of being part of a small group. So uh, <laughs> being established in faith through Christ. You know, all I could say about that is, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. And when the typhoons come, <laughs> I, I can trust the Lord. I really can, because he is faithful, just as we were taught. Now the last point. The last point is 
uh, really uh, the last phrase in verse 7, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I love this because I get to go back to my bucket. So. All right, so we're to be abounding in thanksgiving. And now we get to have a full bucket. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, <laughs> we're to be abounding. It's an area where our bucket's to be full and overflowing. It's thanksgiving. And I started with our communion saying that thanksgiving, you know, it's really the hallmark of a Christian. And for some reason, God keeps hammering that into my head. And I've discovered that <laughs> the more thankful I am, the more faith I have, the more joy I have. So thanksgiving is, is central to the Christian. And uh, it's essential to this text that we're, we're looking at this morning. It's the hallmark of a Christian. So Travis Fleming from the Aurora campus came up with these three things here that we, how we should abound with thanksgiving to Christ. And the first one he, he said was gratitude for grace. So <laughs> throw that into the bucket. Gratitude for grace, right? Amazing. Think about the grace of God. And, and today as we went through communion, how can we not think about the grace of God? Think about what the Lord did for you, where you came from. And maybe you don't remember that. Maybe you were young enough that you don't remember that. But he has taught us where we came from. Now, I remember where I came from, so I'm astounded by God's grace and so thankful for it. Gratitude for the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 4.15 says, So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Ecuador, I think one of the reasons you were there is you wanted more people to see Christ. More grace, more glory, more thanksgiving for God. <laughs> and Travis said it's also an antidote for anxiety. Julie Griffith shared that this is her antidote for anxiety. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We're so familiar with that that I think we, we, we miss the impact of it sometimes. But thanksgiving is integral to that verse. <laughs> Prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So that's an antidote for anxiety. And he also said, uh, Travis said that uh, thanksgiving helps to dispel doubts. I like that. I really do. <laughs> James 1.6 says, but let him ask in faith and I threw in I think faith implies thanksgiving that's my that's not the Lord saying that that's me but I think I can back it up let him ask in faith which implies thanksgiving with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind <laughs> so this is our thanksgiving bucket this morning 
and it's overflowing. And I'm going to ask you, because that's just the type of guy I am, uh, at the end of our service this morning, right now, I want you to throw something in that bucket symbolically. I don't want you to come up here and throw something literally into that bucket. But where you sit, where you stand, I want you to throw a thanksgiving into the bucket and uh, encourage each other, build our faith like we're taught, taught to do. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. So faith in Christ is how we came to Christ. And it's how we stay in Christ, by faith. <laughs> it's how we are growing up and being established in Christ. And, and faith in Christ causes the Christian to abound in thanksgiving. And I'm just going to remind you, abound in thanksgiving this week. Have faith in Christ, because he is faithful. Let's pray together. Father, your faithfulness is amazing, and we see it through Christ. We see it through your word, we see it through your people, your body. We see it in places that are unexpected, and we praise you and thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for this group of people that love you. In Jesus' name, amen.